We're calling an audible on the podcast daily. I'm Bill Landis. That's Jeremy Birmingham. A little inside baseball here. Uh, we recorded the podcast daily for Friday earlier in the day on Thursday before the news of Ohio State hiring Bill O'Brien's as new offensive coordinator broke. And we did a mailbag with our texters. Got great questions. But the first like four of them were like, hey, what's going on with the offensive coordinator position? And now we know the answer to that. The answer is Bill O'Brien. Um, so we wanted to come on and record a new intro to the daily um, and uh, you'll get the rest of the mailbag, but we wanted to explain to you, uh, or the five people, Berm, uh, why maybe uh, it feels like an abrupt uh, beginning to the, to the mailbag questions, because, uh, you know, sometimes you you, you plan things, and then, uh, what's it, man, man plans and God laughs or something like that? Yeah. yeah. We spent a lot of time talking about Bill O'Brien. It was really good stuff. Most of it got rehashed or reiterated on Snap Judgments presented by Byers Auto, which we did late on Thursday night. So if you have... Uh, a burning desire to hear more about Bill O'Brien, I would implore you to go back yeah. after you finish the mailback episode of the podcast daily and rewatch or re-listen to uh, that snap judgments. But we certainly talked a lot about Bill O'Brien and what made him the right choice for Ohio state. Um, and we can talk about that more uh, on at roosters and a lot of other shows, but for today, freaky Friday, we're just going to cut straight to the mailbag. So enough of me and bill yammering and telling you what happened. Here's the mailbag. Thanks for watching. Easy. Okay. Um, all right, let's move off that to something else here. Uh, will asked, uh, why do you guys keep saying that sunny style should move to linebacker? I feel that the defense needs safeties more than linebackers. Currently CJ Hicks and Cody Simon, seem like the natural fit to start there am i missing something he yeah. is the modern linebacker sonny styles like that is where his future in football is um is it imperative that he plays linebacker for ohio state no i don't think so i think potentially moving him there gives you the best chance of playing your best 11 defenders more often than not so that's why i'm such a strong proponent of it but i'll let you have the floor on that I think about Jonathan Cooper. I think about Baron Browning. I think about Coop playing defensive end at Ohio State when he should have been playing an outside linebacker spot. I think about Baron Browning playing in the middle when he should have been playing an outside linebacker spot. I watched them in the NFL. Those two are both playing very, very well for the Denver Broncos as outside linebackers. I think what Will has said here is true on both, both sides. Yes, safety is a bigger need, but I don't know that you can look at Sonny Styles and the way he played last year when, when he was pressed into action after Lathan Ransom got hurt, especially because once you took Lathan off the field, all of the, the smaller issues that Sonny had all year became extremely amplified. Um, the kid is six foot four and a half, almost six foot five and struggling to stay below 240 pounds. And I'm sorry, that's just not a safety. I look at Isaiah Simmons, who's like the most natural college comparison for Sonny in the last handful of years, and you see how badly uh, Simmons has struggled since he's adapted to the NFL. Now he's in his second team playing for the Giants. He's not the player everyone thought he was going to be, and I think you owe yourself uh, as a program to put a guy where he's going to be his most dynamic best player, but I also think you owe it to the player to put him in a position to, to get him prepared for the next level, yep. and I it's clear to me that is going to be as an outside linebacker or maybe even an edge rusher for Sonny Styles. And so let's start putting him in that spot now. You can find another safety. And I just, if Sonny had his druthers, I think he'd be at 250, 253 pounds 
by the end of spring, just naturally. And I don't, I just don't think that as fast as he is, as athletic as he is, like he's not that quick twitch guy playing safety that you need. And I, I it looked pretty clear to me, especially as you got to the end of the year, um, when, you know, missed angles and bad angles yeah. and missed tackles and stuff like that really put him in the spotlight. And it's not a knock on Sonny. It's just, I, I just think that it looks, he looks like a kid who should be playing linebacker or defensive end. And I and I think he knows that too. Like he was yeah. he was asked last year about the possibility of eventually moving down closer to the line of scrimmage, and he was like, "Yeah, maybe, probably." Like I think he he knows him better than anybody else. He knows how he how he's growing and how difficult it is to stay at the weight that he needs to stay at um, to play safety. So um, yeah, w- will it happen? I I don't know. I I think I would just like to see it happen. Um, and that doesn't like write off CJ Hicks at all either. Like, I think there's still a way to incorporate CJ Hicks, also probably down closer to the line of scrimmage than perhaps playing linebacker. And then your starting safeties can be Lathan Ransom, um, Jordan Hancock at the nickel, and Malik Hartford, unless like a uh, Caleb Downs bomb drops in the next 24 hours. Um, so it's not that they would be shorthanded at, at safety either. Uh, I guess you wonder about like the the future of that position. It would it would make you no know, re- recruiting. I put recruiting under more of a microscope, I think, than it already is at the safety position. If if you know that's not going to be there for the next two years, next year regardless. Like, yeah, right. So you're getting one more year of him anyway. So if if Ohio State as an identity on defense, and this is something I mean, we can certainly talk about more in the offseason. I believe that as a defensive uh, team, they need to get more multiple and and move guys around and be willing to. To flex any styles down and move CJ Hicks into that jack slash edge rusher. Like, if you have these guys that are these unicorn type athletes, if move them around, let them do different things. I just, I look at it from this you have one more year of Sonny Styles, regardless of what happens. His athleticism is so next level that he's going to be gone after next season because everyone else on the defense is leaving as well. So, like, I, my perspective is. What are you going to do to prepare him for the next level? And the keeping him at safety where he's not going to play in the NFL is is doing everyone a disservice. And that's just that's just my feel on it. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. And you actually you touched on something there that can lead us into another question. Um, Michael asked this. He said, "You guys talk a lot about Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimolowal being good, like strong side defensive ends." Um, then the, and he says, then there's a lot of talk about not using the Jack or Leo position due to them coming back and still playing more of a four or three. So he asked, like, is there a football reason that Jack and JT wouldn't be perfect fits for a three man front with then the fourth player being the Jack Leo position, whether that is a CJ Hicks and Mitchell Melton and Arvell Reese, perhaps down the road, or maybe even that's a more immediate proposition. Um, I am all for that idea. That is what I want Ohio State's defense to look like. I want Ohio State's defense to be the three safeties I mentioned, Cody Simon and Sonny Styles at linebacker, and then the front that Michael is describing here. And I actually think that's Jim Knowles' preference too, but I don't know if they're actually going to do it. We, Doug and I talked about this on Kings of Columbus, um, I think earlier this week. And like we had a really long conversation about the hypotheticals and what this could look like and how fun it would be. And then he said, do you think it's going to happen? And I said, absolutely not. So what, what do you think of that uh, proposal from Michael and then I guess to the possibility of it actually happening. Uh, I think the roster is being built that way, whether you like it or not. And at some point, this is part of the discussion that's been happening for the last two years about Larry Johnson. Like you need to be flexible. You need to understand that. Yes, you've played a four, a four down front forever. 
great. That's not football anymore. That's not just, you can't run the same defense every single time you're out there. Uh, that's not going to, no matter how good you are, no matter how good your guys play on the back end, no matter how fundamentally sound you are, it doesn't matter. You can beat these things. There are ways to beat every defense. And if you go out there and put the same four down front every play over and over and over, and Michigan decides to put seven offensive linemen, eight offensive linemen out there, you're still going to lose. So you got to find some way to upset the natural order of things. And and the best way to do that is to use your freaky, freaky athletes in freaky, freaky ways, man. You know, be freaky. Get freaky with it. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, and we want to see freaky athletes doing freaky things on the defense. I couldn't agree more. I'd get that tattooed on me, I think, if it wasn't such a long yeah. phrase. Um, all right. We can just uh, abbreviate it. We can, uh, what can we call it? Like freaky. I eh, can't really abbreviate it. It needs just, all. The- I just, just like put like play your freaks. You can put that on it. Yeah, play your um, freaks. Play your freaks. Okay. Here's a, uh, it's a non football, really non Ohio State question. We like to mix these in when we do a freaky Friday mailbag. Um, this question is from Shane, and I'm interested in your answer because you drive a whole hell of a lot more than I do. Um, what are some of the things that get you extremely frustrated while you're driving? And I think he means like not things like you think about in the world that frustrate you, but like, like oh. behaviors of drivers on the road, I think, that frustrate you. Uh, I mean, my biggest pet peeve is people who don't use their turn signal. That 100%. drives me absolutely crazy. Like, I don't understand. It's it's very normal. And it's, it's like a natural thing while you're driving to use it, too. It's not, shouldn't even be hard. Um, people who force you to listen to their music also. <laughs> it irritates the crap out of me. Like I understand, I, I, you know, I like to take the top down and be loud. But like, once you get to a stop sign or something, you, you don't need to force other people to listen to your stuff. I'm not all about Im- imposing on people like that. Um, when people just don't seem to be paying attention to the road at all, like I, I, again, I drive that 23, 470, uh, that I-75, 23 stretch from. Toledo to Columbus twice a week, at least. And during the season, four times a week, roughly. And the number of times that you see people who are just driving like this, yeah, but they're, and they're driving 15 miles an hour under the speed limit because they're just like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, and I, I, I'm not perfect when it comes to cell phone use in the car. I'm, I'll never proclaim that, but like, go the speed limit at least yeah like there's a lot of things uh, semis i I mean we talked about this before i don't think truck drivers like semis 18 wheelers i don't think they should be allowed on the on the roads uh between 8 a.m and and 8 p.m overnight only overnight only i mean i guess i could probably like come to terms with like six to six or something like that but like I just don't think that they should be allowed on the roads, especially like two lane highways and that sort of stuff. I, I, there's got to be some sort of regulation as far as how many lanes are on a road that they're allowed to use at a certain time. I just think that it's ludicrous to allow what we see on the roads because they're like, number one, those, those people driving those trucks are so exhausted and they deserve to have brakes that are actually allow them to get rest. Um, but, you know, there, there's a lot of things I could think about, Bill, that just pissed me right off. <laughs> the turn the turn signal thing is the one that i thought of first and i i don't i don't mean to generalize here but i i i do feel like i've experienced a severe lack of turn signal usage 
um, since moving to Ohio, and I've lived here for almost a decade now, but I feel like I noticed like, you know, so a lot of Ohio drivers just don't feel like uh, turning that old turn signal on there when they're switching lanes. Or the other thing that really bothers me is um, when you're going to turn, but like you slam on your brakes before you put on your turn signal that like i i want to just like accelerate through the back of your car when that happens my other issue with people turning is when they slow down to like three miles an hour to turn (laughs) and it's just like really guy like it doesn't like that's those are little things but i I drive a lot so uh i I try to understand or, or appreciate that everyone's in a different frame of mind and um but there are so many people on the road who who are generally just entirely reckless that it it's uh it's pretty shocking honestly i'm i'm surprised there's not more accidents on a day-to-day basis because like i've driven again that that route to columbus probably 300 times in the last two years and i've never seen an accident happen on on the way like on the road which is wild yeah all right uh there's a lot of things. Yeah, there are a lot of things we talk about. Uh, I think you, Berm, when they drive, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> like I've seen people like eating like ramen while driving, like eating a full bowl of cereal. Yeah, it's not driving. like having a snack wrap from Mickey D's. You're talking right. like people full on with a you know with soup. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, all right, we'll go to another question. I, b- I believe you might have addressed this on talking stuff. I think on. Um, Wednesday night, but we can uh, rehash it here. I think rather quickly for the people. Uh, William asks, is there any interest from Ohio state in any of the Washington offensive linemen who entered the portal? And those two players are Parker Brailsford, the center and Nate Kalepo, the guard. And I like I, just to give my take on it real quickly before you can, I guess, say yes or no to that berm. Uh, Parker Brailsford like is a center and I think a pretty good one, but Ohio state already addressed center in the portal. And then, Washington's offensive line won the Joe Moore award, which might sound shocking to anybody who watched them try to block Michigan. Um, But that was very much on the backs of their tackles and their center and not so much on their guard. So I don't like personally would not be very interested in any guard from Washington, which is what Nate Kalepo is. But I know his name has been thrown about at least on Twitter um, in relation to Ohio state. So what can you say on that? Uh, No, they're not recruiting. Uh, There are, however, uh, Ohio state is still looking at depth pieces for the offensive line. And I actually think, that there are two other Washington linemen who should at least deserve a little bit of a, a look, and that's Gary and Hatchet and Landon Hatchet, uh, the brothers f- who are from Washington, Seattle. Uh, Gary, in, in the class of 2020, was extremely close with Paris Johnson and Luke Whippler, and his recruitment came down to Ohio State or Washington. He just didn't want to go that far away from home. He's a guard who'll be going into his fifth year. I mean, there's at least uh, some... There, there's at least a relationship there that I think is worth looking at because Landon Hatchet, his brother, who's a freshman this year as, as a tackle, I think is a player that could potentially be a long-term play for someone. And I, I would, if I'm Ohio State, that's where I would look because you have an existing relationship if if you're looking out in Washington. But um, I don't think any of that's going to happen. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think it's wrong for Ohio State to look at guards in the portal whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I just don't know if I look at like Nate Kaleppo in particular as a definite upgrade. At I'm that not position, but, who thinks they're going to come in and start at guard. Yeah, but though depth, they, they definitely need depth. And if you could make a depth play while also uh, getting a package family deal for a guy who could be a starter for you in a couple of years, that's not, that's not the worst thing in the world. Um, question from Alex. How often do you think Will Howard will actually run the ball this year? 
I would hope you see seven to eight carries a game, maybe three or four designed runs and three or four scrambles. You have the, he certainly has the skill set to do it. Uh, if you watch mm-hmm. his film, like you can see the athleticism. He's a big kid. He's not like a big lumbering, uh, you know, sloth or anything. The kid can move, but you still have Travion Henderson and Quinshawn Judkins. You still have Emeka Abuka and Cardinal Tate and Brandon Ennis and Jeremiah Smith and Jaden Ballard and uh, use your weapons you have. Um, uh, I love the idea that you have a quarterback who's a threat to run but doesn't have to run, and and that I would I would not um, expect Ohio State to change their offense and go back to 2016 Buckeyes when you have these yeah. many weapons on the outside. Yeah, my number was like five ish. I think whatever whatever that looks like. I don't you don't want to run them into the ground. You do have I suppose you know if everything stands pat the the benefit of some quarterback depth with like Devin Brown and. Another year of Lincoln Keenholz developing and a freshman in Aaron Olin. It's not like in 2019 where you were terrified anytime someone came near Justin Fields. Um, but I don't, I don't think they're going to run him JT Barrett style uh, either. Um, and I, and I don't know that he's that kind of runner. I think, I think Will Howard is effective as a runner, sort of in small doses. I don't, if you run him 15 times a game, I think you might struggle for some efficiency there if you do that. But I do think they will, they will do it, especially more than they've done it um, the last two years. Um, Here's a question that I think is, it wasn't addressed to you specifically, Byrne, but I, I do feel like you're good at this. You've done it just sort of generally a few times. Um, Adam asks, could you please tell my sister, Laura, that the program isn't falling apart and things are going to be okay? I feel like I'm constantly talking here off the ledge when it comes to Ohio State. I think that's normal. If fans are, are, this is something I've said to a number of people uh, in, in the last couple of months, but in any other part of our lives, in the lives of in the human experience, Bill, if you call someone a fanatic, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a bad thing. Yeah. Right. So in sports, we call people fans, which is a nice casual way of saying fanatic. Uh, and I think that it's viewed significantly different than being a fanatic in any other sense. And I don't know that it should be because <laughs> it is a sickness and it makes you um not see always what's real and what's not real and and it puts you in a hyper emotional state and it forces you to just react to things that maybe you don't fully understand or maybe you do understand but you are still so personally invested in it because it's your you know your release from the real world um if you have any doubts about the high state program falling apart all you have to do is look at the last two weeks and realize that's not true uh, it's just not true. The, these guys who are all second or, or or early third day NFL draft picks all decided, you know what, we can wait on that money because Ohio State gives us an opportunity to to win a national championship and to do it with people that they that they genuinely love being around, and that matters so much. Now I understand that it's a business, and if Ryan Day and the Buckeyes don't handle their business this coming November then we're going to probably see an Alabama-type problem <laughs> in the next year. But until, like, I don't know that, and it's what we talked about on, on Thursday morning's podcast daily, is any team in the country really more than a year away from that happening at this point? And I don't know that they are. I mean, yeah, you yeah, can say okay. Georgia's, you know, Kirby's going to be there for the next 15 years, 20 years, sure, maybe. Or maybe he decides to take an NFL job. But you don't know what's going to happen with anyone right now. Michigan just won the national championship, can't recruit anyone to save their life, and their head coach is probably 
uh, going to be taken off to the NFL and, and then they're going to get walloped by the NCAA. So like, are they in a better spot than Ohio state? I, I, I hesitate to say that they are. That's, that seems faulty. I, I just, yeah. I don't know. I, I looked, I saw a statistic on Twitter. Um, I think it was an AP poll or something, an AP stat. Ohio state has been ranked in the AP poll for the last 56 years. Um, the next closest program was Georgia. How many how many consecutive years do you think it was for Georgia? Uh, I don't know, like eleven, twenty seven. Oh, okay. Well, pretty good. Yeah, but still half of the length of time Ohio State's been in the poll. Like it is the program with the most consistency throughout the last hundred and fifteen years of college football. And yes. Losing to Michigan sucks, but I promise you, as people who grew up watching this stuff in the 90s, that's why, like, there, there's people I know in the media. One of my good friends, Anthony Bellino, who is a PR, he's a, the voice of Michigan Stadium. He's the guy on the field who does the, uh, you know, the, the crowd stuff, and he does it yeah, for the, yeah. he does it for the Lions. He does it for the uh, Wolverines. He did it for the Toledo Muttons for a while. Like, he ran a radio show in Toledo, and I would talk to him through the early 2010s and 2000, you know, Buckeyes are winning every year. And I would, he, he always talked to me off camera, like, oh, I know you're ready to gloat. And I'm like, it's going to stop at some point. <laughs> it's not possible to always win every time you play your rival. Like it sucks to lose, but that that's what makes it the greatest rivalry in sports. Like it, it, if Ohio State won it every year, it's not because Ohio State is that much better. It's because Michigan sucked those years. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, now certainly doesn't feel like the time to be worried about Ohio State's downfall necessarily. And I, and I think to your point about you know what's happened at Alabama, what's happened at Washington even, um, and what could happen at Michigan if and when Jim Harbaugh goes to the NFL and slash the NCAA does something, um, I think it's harder and probably unwise to worry about your college football team in terms of like years or like a period of time, like you really need to focus on whatever that one year is that you, that you're in um, or even the few months or, or, or that you're in. Um, and for Ohio state, like it's been pretty good. I think it's been, I think it's been about as good as it could be in a world where they lost to Michigan and didn't go to the playoff and haven't won the big 10 in three years. Right. And that's not where Ohio state wants to be, but you know, off season vibes, I think are pretty good. All things considering um, they have to take that step to get back to, to winning all those things that I mentioned, but I think they're pretty well positioned to do that. So if I were an Ohio state fan, I'd be excited about that. Um, or at least I say that, I mean, I live in an existential dread about like the Philadelphia Eagles, even when they're good. So like, I get it. Um, yeah, but, but uh, I don't want to be hyper. I don't want to be hypocritical. This guy, you know, his sister with Laura, listen, I understand Laura, Laura, listen, if, if Ohio state had entered this coming weekend, Getting the news that Travion Henderson was going pro and Jack Sawyer was going pro and JT2 Maloa was going pro and Jordan Hancock and Denzel Burke and Tyleek Hall or Tyleek Williams and, and Ty, Ty Hamilton and Emeka Buka and all these guys are going pro and Jeremiah Smith flipped to Miami on signing day and Edric Houston flipped to Alabama on signing day and the Buckeyes weren't able to go get a quarterback in the portal. Like I can understand how three weeks ago the dread that you felt was like, oh my gosh, is this it? But it's never going to be it for long at a place like Ohio State. Like, if you listen to the press conference with Ross Bjork on on Thursday or Wednesday, 
like the conversation is pretty clear. Like this football is king. It's a hundred million dollar athletic department. They're going to find ways to keep winning. And you don't win every game. I'm thinking about Georgia this year and how dominant they've been the last couple of years. They didn't make the playoff this year either. And now they're like, okay, well, let's go form Voltron and get Caleb Downs and do this. And like they went 40 some years without winning a national championship. Uh, they are, they won two in a row and then they lose one game and they're out of the playoff and their fans are like, oh, what's going on? But, you know, Kirby was one in five against Nick Saban. Like it, it, you, there's always going to be someone out there that is making you feel like, oh, this isn't the way it should be. Yeah, but that's sports. Don't be a fanatic. Be be a lover of the game. That's right. I realize I just, I I, uh, I said the thing that's going to piss people off again, which is if I were an Ohio State fan, I try really hard to catch myself. No, because I don't, it comes off the wrong way. I don't, I don't mean it. I don't mean it in any kind of derogatory way. Right. It just means I didn't grow up an Ohio State fan and I wouldn't pretend that I have, but it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't mean I dislike Ohio State, but I think I try very hard. And I mean, I, 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 I'm clear about the fact that I grew up an Ohio State fan and I, I find myself still at times rooting for the program, but like being involved in, in, in this job, like over the last decade, I find myself much less personally invested in the big picture of Ohio state and much more in the individual stories and the guys we get to cover because that's the, you know, you stop seeing like the block O and start seeing the individuals. And uh, that's why sometimes it's hard not to, to root for people and occasionally, Hey, this is, this is crappy. The way that people are treating this player. Like I understand if Ohio state fans believe like you should win every game and you, you should always have a first round pick at quarterback. You know, that's why, like, throughout this past season, sometimes it seems like we're defending Kyle McCord, for example, maybe. Uh, and, but I was, I was defending him as a person, not as a football player all the time, because, mm-hmm. like, I understand that people have expectations for how a football player should play at Ohio State, but he's still like a 20 year old kid. And I, I don't care if he's a 20 year old kid making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year to play football, like, still a 20 year old kid. And I, I just think it's like there has to be a, a line where you go, okay, this is where we're not going to cross. And I, I don't know that people have that anymore. No, it's oh yeah. People don't have filters, <laughs> which know. is cool. Like be filterless, but you can still, you should still be able to formulate thoughts that are like, uh, uh, you know, objective and, and fair and not full of just hatred when it comes oh, to yeah. talk, talking about a, a player, you know, a 20 year old kid who's, killing himself trying to win a football game for for the team that you root for and that's it's emotional stuff man. yeah yeah people it's act- the thing that i that i love most about ohio state right. fans i i, I my brain keep talking and i can't stop say what you're gonna say no no it's okay you know i was just gonna say like it's uh the the reaction like good and bad and not this isn't specific to ohio state fans this is like i think the sports in general um does feel like hyper emotional, like much more emotional than it used to be. Or maybe that's just because we have more access to people's thoughts and feelings on it than we had 15 years ago. Um, but like, I appreciate that too. Like I, I, one, I, I also act that way. And two, like if people didn't feel that passionately about the team that they love specifically Ohio state, then we wouldn't have jobs. So, um, I'm appreciative of that as well. I just don't want people to be like, you know, living in constant dread and fear of what, like what's going to happen to Ohio state. Like, I don't know. I think they can win a national championship this year. And I think it's okay to be excited about that rather than like dwell on the bad things that might happen. Um, which again, aren't unique to Ohio state and college football. Um, 
like we said, programs can kind of take a step back rather quickly now, unfortunately. But I, I'm not really fearful of that for Ohio State. And I would hope that there aren't a lot of fans who are either. I think the one thing that, like, if I if I get personally like annoyed by one thing, it's when there's an assumption made that the players or coaches in Columbus or whatever team you root for don't care about the game as much as the fans do. And that is completely false. Like it is their life and it is 80 hour weeks that they're putting into preparing for those three hours on Saturdays. And like, if things don't go well, it sucks to be in the stadium watching your team lose. But like those people have put their entire lives into that moment and to fall short is one thing, but they're wearing, you know, Ohio state colors and representing you, the fans and, like it hurts them on a deep, deep personal level when they fall short. And it, I, I think that people forget that. Uh, it, but that's just me. I'm just, a, I'm an emotional person. You, you know, I'm extremely, yeah. I'm extremely just heartstrings just constantly being pulled. That's right. All right. That was, that was far too serious. Let's get into something uh, less serious, but also has to do with your emotions. Um, well, we'll do two more questions. Here's the first one. John asks, why does Berm hate Pitch Perfect 2? Also, how does he know that you hate Pitch Perfect 2? Well, because any reasonable person... Let me start over. John, I don't hate Pitch Perfect 2. I hate Pitch Perfect 3. Oh. I I generally am void of emotion about Pitch Perfect 2 because it was just Pitch Perfect 1 remade again and... Then they did it again with Pitch Perfect 3, but took away some of the characters and actually made Pitch Perfect what it was, which is one of the greatest movies of all time. Um, I I feel like when you find a film like Pitch Perfect, which is so unique and original and funny when you weren't expecting it to be and and heartwarming when you weren't expecting it to be, and then have a kick-ass soundtrack and all the things that go into that experience. I remember so well the first time I watched Pitch Perfect. It was 2012. I was hanging out with a, a, a girl that I knew at the time and we decided to put on this movie and I had no idea what it was. I thought it was this dumb basic chick flick and I was like, this is going to be so stupid. And then three minutes in, I was like, oh, what? No way. And then I was like, just enthralled by it. And I love Pitch Perfect, uh, but I just think that when you have something that's that great, there's no reason. And I know why companies do it. And I realize the money's money. But like, there's no reason to try to have lightning strike twice, and or three that, times. <laughs> yeah. The third time, it, it wasn't lightning. The third time, it was just somebody pissing on you and then wrapping you up in an electrical cord and turn and connecting it to the you know the outlet. Like that's yeah. that's what well, that doesn't sound fun. Yeah, no, that, that sounds like a not enjoyable experience. All right, so we got to the bottom of that. Here's the last question. Uh, Jamie asks, my dad and I are planning to go. To a game at the shoe this season. Uh, what game would you go to outside of the game? Obviously, oh. well, assuming like that's an expensive ticket. Like if we're, it's a yeah. hard ticket to get um, outside of the Michigan game. Which game would you go to? Um, I have two suggestions for this, Jamie, and I, I took into account like time of year because you know they they have the couple games in September. You can go to a September game at the shoe where it is hot to the point where it is uncomfortable. And I don't really recommend that. Berm knows all about that, being down on the field shooting shooting photos. Um, so my two choices, which are probably obvious, uh, are the October 5th game against Iowa. Iowa, which I think is a chance to be ranked. Um, 
and October 5th should be a nice temperate fall day. Uh, or October 28th against Nebraska, who is an interesting team. And it's a Halloween weekend. Maybe it's a night game. Maybe people are sauced up. Maybe the shoe's rocking. I think that could be a, a pretty decent environment, too. The home schedule this year is not great outside of the Michigan game. In fact, it's quite bad. Um, but if you are making plans to go to a game and it is not the Michigan game, I think the best you could do uh, is Iowa or Nebraska. I, since I didn't know the question ahead of time, I really don't even know who the home schedule is. But uh, uh, the Michigan game certainly is the one where you just go all put all your chips in the table and, and go for that if you can. But the Nebraska game is interesting. That is almost certainly going to be a night game. That is almost certainly going to be your first opportunity to yell at Dylan Rayola. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as much as I sit here and tell you folks to be very, very nice to people that play football at Ohio State, I think you can be very, very mean to others. And so <laughs> that is the weekend that you should do. It. It, it takes me back to 2012. I think it was around that weekend. Ohio State had Nebraska in town for a visitor. You know, they were visiting that weekend. Buckeyes beat them 63 to 14 or something like that. And that's how it should go this October as well. Nebraska is going to be a better program. I like Matt Rule a lot. They're going to have, they have great fans. They'll travel well. Like, so it's going to be a good environment. That's the one to go to. Iowa, that day, I don't care. It's October 5th. It'll somehow be 47 degrees. It'll be more snowing. Or snow. Yeah. Probably going to snow. October 28th is going to be a much nicer day than October 4th. I guarantee it. Yeah. The, uh, the home schedule, by the way, uh, next year is Akron, Western Michigan, Marshall, Iowa, Nebraska, Purdue, Indiana, and Michigan. Oof. Not great. Gross. Good road games. Nice trip to Oregon. Nice trip to Penn State. Uh, uh, it's a trip to Penn State. Well, I mean, at least like, you know, potentially quality opponent, not necessarily a fun trip. That that November slate of Indiana, Purdue, and Michigan, woof. Yeah, they play at Penn State, and then the rest of the schedule is home against Purdue at Northwestern, home against Indiana, Oof. and home against Michigan. So they get a nice nice build-up to the Wolverines, at least. Well, the good but, news is that we get to go back to Northwestern in November. And then it won't, be, it won't even be in Evanston. It'll probably be at Wrigley Field. Which will be flat out awful. <laughs> Can't wait. That will be awful. Yeah. The the November game there in 2022 is one of the worst experiences I've ever had on a football field. So not really looking forward to returning to Chicago for that. Yeah. Although I really do like David Braun, the Northwestern coach, and I think that they're going to be a good program moving forward. As yeah, um, do I. Yeah, Nebraska is the one to go to. For sure. Nebraska. I think that that is the correct answer. All right. We'll close the mailbag with that question. Uh, thank you to everyone who sent questions in, by the way. Those questions came from our tech subscribers. If you'd like to be one, you can join for a 14-day free trial. The number is 614-662-4509. Uh, you can sign up, test it out. You don't like it, just text stop. And then, uh, you know, it'll be like it never happened. But we would appreciate you trying it um, either way. Uh, obviously, waiting on some news on Ohio State on the coaching front. If that ends up happening on Friday, you'll, you'll probably be hearing from us uh, later on today. Um, if not, we'll be monitoring that, and we'll, we'll talk to you uh, when, when the time comes. Uh, if that doesn't happen this weekend, we hope you enjoy your weekend, and we will talk to you early next week. For Berm, um, Bill, this has been the Podcast Daily. Thanks so much for watching. We'll talk to you guys next time.